0: Welcome to this episode of The Grow Podcast. My name is John King. I am the host to the agronomy segment of our podcast. Today, we're going to dive into some current events and rounding out the early harvest observations with our technical agronomist, Dan Bjorklund. We are then going to take a deeper dive into exactly what is going on in the nitrogen markets and what growers need to be prepared for when looking at prepay and spring uh, bookings. We're also going to take some time to talk about weed resistance and what growers need to be thinking about as we approach chemical prepays on making sure we're controlling uh, some of these really pesty weeds that obviously we're still seeing out there in some of our soybean fields. Lastly, we are going to highlight um, products of the month. Um, We're gonna kinda go back to two products that we've talked about already with Procoat and Titan XC. Uh, Look forward to the information we're gonna provide you this month. All right, everybody, i uh, got Dan Bjorklund here with me uh, this month as usual, and uh, Dan, it's good to see you. Uh, what, uh, what are you seeing out there in the fields as we're kind of getting into early harvest? Uh, nice to see you too,
1: John. Um, let's talk about soybeans first. Um, soybean yields have been uh, coming in pretty consistently um, uh, over the last 10 days, uh, and some of the initial yields uh, that I heard basically... Uh, reinforce what we thought all year. Those places that got rain in August have the best right. best yields. Um, we saw some uh, 1.1s um, all the way in the, in the bread area, which you know would be the garden spot, really, uh, of our yeah, territory. going up to 75, um, and then getting into uh, the mid 2s up in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. uh where the, where the rain occurred. Uh, we've had other areas where it's 40s. Yep. Uh, 45s where yep. it's been dry, and it brings up one of the concerns that I have going into next year, and I've been thinking about this for the last three years based off of data we saw. What is the impact, the so-called hidden impact of soybean cyst nematode on soybean yields in a dry year?
0: Okay, what? Uh, so what do you, you think that's some of the attributed issues here this year? Um, I think it could be... A,
1: especially in the areas that uh, were just dry. Um, what uh, Greg Telka has shown at Iowa State over the last three, four years in the research that he's done is that the source of resistance that we've used for the last 40 years, um, and it's called eighty-eight one eighty-eight. it's starting to, I don't know if you want to say break down, but I, I think that there are biotypes of the soybean cyst larvae. And, and when you think about it, what is soybean cyst? Um, we think about the cyst on, on the roots, but what it is is these are microscopic worms that are crawling around in your root system, feeding off your root system. And just think about how dry it was in areas. Right. So that, it's just with that thought, you know it can't be good. And now you've got a source of resistance that isn't holding them um, back anymore. There is another source, and we at Landers are really gonna focus on this one looking at what we put in the lineup uh, especially the acre the edge lineup uh, this year and that is the peking source the peking source has shown really good you know i hesitate to just say resistance because we call it resistance but what it really is is tolerance you don't ever have a soybean root that is absent of any uh, of the cysts it's just the number and if you can keep those numbers down obviously you feed the uh, the pods rather than uh, feeding the worms so um, but the Peking has looked good even in research uh, back before the current traits that we have with uh, with enlist uh, being um, uh, a dominant one and even the, that I can but prior to that in the round ready beans some of the Peking source of genetics that was coming in was doing really really well I remember looking uh, at a previous uh, time in my life uh, with Winfield at uh, the answer plots and yield data. There were a couple years there that the Peking varieties were number one in all maturity groups from 1.5 all the way uh, to 3.5. They just rose to the top. Uh, Then we had plenty of rain in 17, 18, and 19, and you kind of forget about it now, 2021 and 22 have been dry. I
0: think this is, a big factor, and nobody's talking about it. So, how do so obviously this is a genetic type resistance that they're breeding. How are, how do growers know that they've got um, the two t- t- uh, the two different types of varieties? Uh, it, the information is in all seed guides. Okay. You just have to look at uh, the
1: SCN uh, source of resistance, and probably ninety to ninety five percent of the varieties I've seen, regardless of the company that is breeding those beans tends to be the pa 88 because that's what we've always done. It's kind of human nature, we do yep. what we've always done. There are some companies like Corteva who have done a really good job of bringing in more Peking and you can kind of see that uh, uh, when you look at that. So we have a great opportunity and I'm even excited with the Acre Edge
0: because we're looking at putting blends together John and often well, that's, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking about right now is can you talk a little bit about you know acreage so, so anybody that's listening that doesn't know acreage is our own proprietary bean here right. at Landis um, Can you kind of go through just give them a brief highlight of maybe I think how many different beans do we got in there this year? Is it seven we have seven uh, we go from um, The mid ones
1: uh, all the way to the early threes, so we have everything covered we have one blend this year in a 2.5, uh, and the whole idea with the blend is you take an offensive, combine it with a defensive uh, variety, and um, when you get stress stressful environments like we've had, you just have a much much better uh, uh, tolerance and a and a and a better consistency uh, of yield. Uh, when you have a year that really favors that offensive uh, variety, it just kind of takes off, and you you push these big yields. We had. Many ninety bushel plus yields in the Farmville, uh test plot last year with some of these newer varieties. This year, I think it's going to add on the on the bottom side where uh, some people are getting these forties and forty fives. Where we're going to push that up by fifteen bushels, yeah. just because of those defensive uh, the defensive nature of that, and especially when you put Peking in there because it's just a much superior uh, soybean cyst nematode uh, source of resistance. resistance?
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think we'll put, uh, we'll put the PDF in the show notes of our, uh, um, what we got in the lineup this year. Um, again, you know Dan and Dave Lemke do a big job on, on really handpicking the genetic portfolio of those products for Central Iowa. Uh, they're all E3 beans, I believe, this year. Do we have some extend numbers? They're all E3. Yep. So they're all E3 and uh, definitely something to keep, a, to keep an eye on because uh, we'll have, Dave will probably have a majority of the beans out in the test plot. Um, from what we've had. So we'll have some yield results on those uh, products as well to kind of compare on, you know, the Steins, the Bermonts, the Asgrows, the world as well. So uh, we'll make sure we put those in the, in the show notes for probably November when we have all that data collected, but uh, we'll put in uh, the, the seed guide here for this month. What, um, you know, I'm just looking here right now. So today is October 3rd as we're, um, we're kind of recording this. At Landis, we're about 40% done on beans and we're 2% done on corn, so, you know, kind of shift into corn, you know, some late season, obviously we've we've talked about tar spot a bunch. Um, Anybody that doesn't follow our Landis uh, YouTube or Dan, Dan has a personal YouTube page as well. We'll put both those in the show notes. Um, Make sure you give those a follow or subscribe. Uh, we've got a lot of good information on tar spot in there and we are really trying to be central Iowa's information guide to what tar spot or as far as resistance for tar spot and building good programs. So make sure you look at that, but you know, on the other side of that, Dan, what are you kind of seeing? We haven't had much corn come off. You know, I think corn yields are going to be super variable across the territory. You know, what are some thoughts as we kind of transition to probably corn harvest here in a week or two? What's interesting about corn, uh, as,
1: as, as uh, compared to soybeans, is that you would think the areas that have the rain, like in the northeastern um, business unit that we have uh, in the northeastern part of the state, would just dominate in corn yields. And I, and I do think corn yields will be very good there, but it will depend on how individual growers handle tar spot. Um, I was in fields last week that had no applications and um, uh, the corn was crispy and had been crispy and shut down probably two to three weeks before it, it should have. And tar spot was from the top of the plant to the bottom, obviously gonna have 30, 40, 50 bushel uh, yield hits. There were other areas where individuals had used a VT application, and what was really neat about that is it moved the level of infection back. And maybe, maybe that infection was in the lower leaves, but you got the top, canopy covered, and it moved it back, and we still started to see it emerging uh, in the upper leaves, but it was late enough that, that that the corn was finished. Then you even have some people that did rescue operations yep. that, you know, I haven't, and I've looked a lot at what Purdue uh, has talked about in Wisconsin, in um, Michigan, um, and, and even Illinois, um, that what their research, what their research is saying about uh, applications, and they they weren't, they weren't really recommending uh, necessarily a later application versus a VT. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were saying VT seemed to be doing it, and, and what we found is that people that did not have anything on, and you saw tar spot, say like the week of August twelfth, that rescue operation really helped, depending upon the overall tolerance of right. the hybrid. So. Guys, when you're looking at tar spot next year, and we'll spend a lot of time during the winter on this, but number one is pick the most tolerant hybrids, and then number two, have a plan in place. Uh, And we can control this. Uh, We can control it. Um, My final comment there is that I have found tar spot in every single field I've looked at, no matter where I go in uh, the landest territory, even in the driest areas that we hadn't seen tar spot, it is there now so we are building inoculation everywhere and next year weather will be dependent you'll need people out there
0: that spend time uh, helping you in your fields to, to find this and to manage it well you think about you know we've got it down in the mitchellville plot pretty bad and you know the rainfall there compared to hampton or where we've seen it bad up there i mean it's not even close to the same so um you know it's it's going to be all the way across our trade uh, territory there's no doubt about that i think the biggest thing too you know and and brad put out a really good video on our on our landis youtube page about tar spot it's it's more of just kind of an informational deep dive into the really the technical information on what tar spot is i think what we're going to really try to do um this winter and, and again we're going to come out with a landis recommendation for tar spot Um, We're also going to highlight it in our plots at Farnerville. I think we got, what, 55 acres. So we've we've got a huge section of our Farnerville plots that we're going to dedicate to really understanding tar spot um, from an application standpoint, a product standpoint. Really trying to figure out what yield differentials are between hybrid or not so much hybrids, but fungicide applications, timing, all sorts of stuff. So we're going to dedicate some serious time to it this summer to make sure that we are giving everybody good, solid information, but I think one thing that people need to look at is even if you're going out with a tribopro or a premium fungicide, adding it, when you look at the analysis of those products, you know, the, the Strobilian part of that fungicide gets watered down when you start adding more AI. I think it's going to be really important that we're looking at either, you know, and from a price standpoint, if you're going out with TriboPro, it's probably worth it to add in six to 10 ounces of straight Azoxy you know, generic straight azoxy to really improve that residual amount of um, Azo- uh, Strabillium fungicide that you're going to have in that field. It's a really good bang for your buck when you're thinking about it and you know, a lot of the university data that we've come across, it always highlights Valtima from BASF. The reason of that being is Valtima has the highest percent of AI of, stri- of the Strabillium fungicide and all the premium fungicides. I mean, I think that's kind of the direct correlation. And again, if you watch Brad's video, he kind of goes really deep and dives about what you tar spot as an infectious disease is. And I think this will really help make sense of it and also not add a bunch of cost to what you're trying to do. Also, we're gonna look at a lot of different two-pass programs in the Farmville uh, plot. I think we're planning on doing two two Valtima applications. We're gonna come to back or we're gonna also demo some more affordable type generic products that we can come early or late on to again to add kind of that resistance. So that'll be something I think, you know, one thing we'd also say is if you know you got tar spot in your field, you know, reach out to us at 515-800-GROW, provide us some information on what the yield differentials were. Again, we're trying to really get some good data on how to provide everybody with a lot of good information on how to attack tar spot, and what the repercussions of not planning for it is. So, would you agree with a lot of the, those comments I made there, Dan? Oh, yes, I, I do. And we've had a very good
1: screen uh, on tire spot and hybrid susceptibility in multiple plots, uh, several plots. And so, when we do the, the farm bill, we're going to be able to take and go with the most susceptible and do the ones in the two paths. And we'll, we'll also have uh, a very tolerant one. And what it uh, hybrid. And what it does is it allows us to show how can we flatten that curve of infection later in the season so you get closer to black layer and it's not a big factor. Right. Because you will see tar spot if you look late enough in the season. You will see it uh, come in. It's just it's just a very, very, very um,
0: interesting new disease in, in, uh, in, in how it operates. No, I think those are all good points. All right, kind of shifting gears, I'm gonna kinda update everybody on what's happening in the nitrogen markets. Obviously, you know, again, if I'm a farmer and I'm in central Iowa, you know, we started off season ammonia prices at retail level probably right around, um, I wanna say, call it a thousand to 1100 bucks. Today, you know, we're trending toward 1400 to $1500 a ton at retail, so you're looking at 88 cents a unit roughly. When you're thinking about what's happening again, you know, we've talked about a lot. Heck, we've been talking about it since June. Anybody that came to the Connector events here in Des Moines um, and listened to me speak and and put up when I did my presentation, everything is being driven by the Ukrainian-Russian war and natural gas effects on the, you know, Western Europeans. You know, a lot of what we're seeing is the domestic manufacturing in the United States. I'm going to pull it up here. Let me see. We're, I haven't checked what our natural gas prices are lately, but it's nowhere near what uh, anybody else is paying. So, you know, you look at the board today, November uh, natural gas futures are going for about $6.37. Again, we're still trading at anywhere from 40 to $60 in MMBTU in Europe. So what we're having happen is a, we're having a huge price disparity on cost between the United States and Europe. So what we're creating is again, the make first buy scenario. It is so much easier for Western European resellers or producers to call up domestic United States manufacturers and buy export ammonia at a premium to the domestic market. That is purely what is really driving the price here domestically. One thing I would say too is we've had some plants that have, you know, especially very near and dear to the Iowa market, you know, that have not ran or performed very well over the summer. Some of them had turnarounds due to, uh, you know, inclement weather last year that hit their plant. And none of them have really come up very well out of their turnarounds, and they've had problems getting, getting them really going. So when you have a lack of supply on the pipe, which is the New Star pipeline, so for those that really aren't familiar with it, a lot of our ammonia that comes to Central Iowa is pumped up the New Star pipeline, either from domestic manufacturing or from imports from other parts of the world when we're at such a price differential to the rest of the world we have not seen those imports to the united states okay so if you're a farmer around garner iowa i want to say mount vernon uh, Marshalltown, down to blair and uh fort madison washington area those those terminals are effect- directly affected by the new star pipeline you know the product that's pushed up the pipe and when we don't have the imports and we're a non-competitive market there's less tons moving up the pipe. And that would also go to the same with, you know, kind of the Illinois river system or um, the Ohio river system that a lot of that product's barged on. They're not seeing those imports that they're used to seeing. What that means is we have to get to an equilibrium price in the Midwest to attract spot tons or product to come here. So when we're still the cheapest market in the world, the only thing that's really coming here is anything that's manufactured here or is basically on contract to come here. You know, I've had a lot of people call me concerned about fall in hydro supply. I think it's somewhat valid to be concerned about. You know, I think prices are going to continue to rally to the point that grower is going to say no to the price because there is just a lack of supply in the system to truly um, fulfill what the market needs. Uh, When you look at UAN, it's a lot of the same scenario, domestically our price at new orleans is so much cheaper than what the alternative is to export uan to europe that you know we're just you know cf industries helm who imports a lot of product here are not bringing as much of the product that they usually would keep here domestically uh they're sending it to europe so um, when you look at those price spreads today it's anywhere from 80 to 100 dollars a ton more money to go to europe than to stay here domestically with those tons so um, whether it's ammonia, whether it's UAN, a lot of that product is just, it's not here domestically. They're they are taking it elsewhere for a higher netback. When you look at retail price spreads, you know, again, so just kind of given where we're roughly at, you know, looking around 14.50 for ammonia, you got 88 cents there. UAN is up to 6.80, which is about a dollar and six cents per unit of, of nitrogen. And you have urea at $800 a ton, which is 87 cents per unit. So we now have urea, that's cheaper than ammonia and almost 20 cents cheaper, or excuse me, 30 cents cheaper than, um, than UAN, or excuse me, 20 cents. Uh, can't do math here today. But uh, you know, when you look at that, that's gonna drive behaviors at the grower level to the cheapest form of nitrogen. Those that were maybe primarily focused on side dressing UAN, obviously are gonna look a little bit harder at urea, Or, you know, possibly even those that were using pre-plant UAN might look at urea as an alternative. So I think today where urea is at, the only reason it is uh, so cheap today is there's just not much global demand. Indian buyers have been very soft away from the market. The Brazilian buyers have been very cautious. The only people really been buying any much urea globally has been the Europeans. So they've been buying everything kind of out of that North Africa market, which would be Egypt or Algeria, um, stuff that's really freight logical to going into the Southern uh, uh, Mediterranean type countries and as well as France. So you know, when you see stuff like that happening, when uh, when you see Urea get this cheap globally, you know, and everything else is so much more expensive, it's only a matter of time before that's going to kind of um, come to head and get on a more... Uh, I would call it realistic wine. So when we're looking at stuff like this, you know I think it's very important uh, you know as a grower to keep be mindful of what costs are and you know I think this year of anything you might be looking at switch different alternatives of, of nitrogen with what's happening and where supply is going to be at. Globally, there's a lot more supply of u- of urea than there is of UAN or ammonia so when things are short, I see that product being the with the most upside here today. You know, one thing I really wanted to highlight as well, and Dan and I have been talking about it ahead of time. You know, we've been driving around here at Harvest and, and getting ready to see a lot of these bean fields come out, and uh, we clearly have a mode of action issue out there on beans. You know, I think with the late planning and the wet spring we had, it really exposed us to the situation that's happening out there with water hemp resistance. And one thing that we are really going to be focused on at Landis next year. Um, when we talk about bean pre's, every field needs a bean pre. Um, not doing a bean pre is detrimental and is not. it's just not going to work with the reef resistance we're seeing. But uh, we're going to really highlight two primary products. From what we're seeing, Zidua Pro, which is a three-mode-of-action action uh, pre herbicide has done a phenomenal job at cleaning up fields and keeping fields clean. And then we're also going to take the, the approach of Boundary, which is Metallichlor and Syncor, or Metribuzin and we're gonna add something to Boundary. so you know kind of our our stance is it's boundary plus so whether you're going boundary plus sonic boundary plus generic sonic boundary plus zone, boundary plus pursuit and sulfetrizone boundary plus Zidua straight Zidua we really think that that's kind of the route going forward on beans bean pre's if you're spending your money there um, it's just less money that you're going to have to spend at that third attempt to go keep beans clean. Um, I've talked to a lot of farmers here that are already planting, uh, especially if they're planting flex beans, wanting liberty for late season applications. Um, my comment to them is spend the extra $10 up front and make sure that you get them done first instead of having to worry about that third application. So, Dan, from what you're seeing, I mean, are we kind of aligned on that? I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about that a ton. Uh, we are, John, and, I, and I, I like to use
1: sports analogies. Uh, we're heading into October, and I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan, so we call this Red October. <laughs> and um, you think about um, the teams that win, uh, and when you're looking at three modes of action, yep. it would be like having Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, um, and yep. uh, Goldsmith uh, on your team in yep. uh, the heart of your batting uh, lineup. And you look at what you talked about with Zidra, Zidra Pro, Man, that is the Red October Cardinal program. That is. Now, for those of you who like the Cubs, um, uh, I totally understand that. My dad was a diehard uh, Cub fan. So you can substitute those three guys and put the heart of the Cubs line when they
0: win the World Series. Yeah, I would say we got to go back to 2016 for yeah. that one, though.
1: But it really doesn't make sense. Um, more modes of action, uh, you have just much better odds of cleaning
0: these fields up. Uh, keep them clean. The best weed is not seeing a weed. That's right. You know, I think the biggest thing that I would caution everybody to, we were really pushing Zidua Pro big here at Landis. Again, we just had tremendous results from it here this past two, three years. It is a premium product. There's no doubt about it. You're going to spend somewhere from 25 to 30 bucks, depending on where prices come out, which we'll know a little bit more here in the next three weeks. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that, you know, we continue to see is it works. And it's a low use rate and you know it buys you some time to worry about that second application again boundary plus something else Um, we've had a lot of luck over the years with boundary plus sonic or generic sonic or boundary plus really anything else there's a lot of different things we can throw in that concoction to really create a lot of different modes of action uh, and, and kill weeds so you know i think the biggest thing though is if zidua pro is something that you're interested in and want to get after supply is not going to be infinite on that product I would say there's a lot of people in the industry that are looking at the exact same thing. So, you know, if that's something that you want to get look at as your pre-herbicide application on beans, um, that's something that I would be working with my local retailer on to understand what supply looks like, availability, and ability to get that product. So um, we're going to be dedicated here to making sure we get aggressive to get that product, but uh, definitely want to make sure if that's part of your regular performance of products, that you're, you're, you're getting after those and getting them early. Other than that, I think we're gonna kind of transition here to the product of the month section. Kind of rounding out the podcast here, I wanted to highlight two products that really, you know, we've talked a little bit about them across the podcast already, but I really wanna focus on them as we're here in October. We're in the heart of dry, you know, beginning dry fertilizer application and it's something we've invested some money into here at Landis to have the equipment to do the, to to work with these products. And that's uh ProCoat from Yara and then Titan C from Loveland Products. So if anybody that is not familiar with those ProCoat the ProCoat system which we pr- primarily carry ProCoat zinc and ProCoat boron copper manganese zinc so an all-in-one combo. That's an oil-based the ProCoat system is an oil-based micronutrient package that is coated on every granular of the fertilizer that you're going out to spread. Titan is a biocatalyst type product that really works on the breakdown and availability of of dry fertilizer. And one thing I would kind of highlight on Titan, you know, and I think they talked a lot about this, is it 30% of the phosphorus that you put out in the fall is available by spring? So think of Titan as the ability of all that product that you're putting out there it's speeding up that conversion factor or, you know, really converting that stuff to be more readily available. And they have a ton of data on it. It's the product is made by Agrison. It's been around for a long time, but what we're trying to do is, you know, we're in a high priced environment today with where dry fertilizer is at. We brought out Titan a lot this year, primarily from the fact is, we want to make sure that you are getting every dollar out of the investment you're making and by putting these products together we're really focused on making sure that the the dry that you're putting out this fall is going to be readily available for that property going into the spring so when you're looking at looking at titan titan's about 16 ounces per ton so if you're doing a 300 pounds per acre spread you're about seven bucks an acre pro coat zinc is going to run you anywhere from four to eight dollars an acre call it four dollars an acre for a pound of zinc about eight bucks an acre for two pounds of zinc so dan when we're looking at these products you know You've spent a lot of time um, with the, the agronomists from both teams, and you know what's kind of the talking points you would have for for growers as they're in the combine, especially with some of these places where we're having good yields. You know, in looking at these products for next year, Titan really sets the stage because um,
1: being that catalyst, when you when you think about adding a nutrient like phosphorus uh, to the soil. It wants to go to rock almost immediately. It wants to be uh, tied up um, and really is similar depending upon what your pH is and everything else. And uh, Titan just makes the nutrients more available. There has been so much discussion, John, about biologicals. And in a sense, that's what this is, but it's not a live biological. It's the byproduct uh, that, that they produced that does what everybody's is wanting uh, to have happen with biologicals and making nutrients more uh, available. This does it, and the fact that it's not that live sort of bug in the jug, you don't have to worry about application, about it staying alive and, and, and all that. It, it already is there, and there's been so much data uh, produced over the years to show uh, that increased availability. In a sense, it takes what you have, if you take a soil test report and look at your uh, levels of phosphorus and all the nutrients, potassium, whatever, and it just makes them more available and increases the availability. You tie that in with a product like Pro-Coat, which is micronutrient based. And the biggest challenge we've had with micronutrients is by the time we figure out we have a challenge, say like in the spring, we see a deficiency on the leaf, then you try to figure out how do I feed that plant? It's already uh, in in a deficit. You go on ahead of time. You, you use a pro coat uh, micronutrient product, and each granule having uh, being coated, you've got plenty of food available for uh, for those roots much more difficult to do it the old way where we were broadcasting and not knowing if we were well we know we weren't getting equal amounts uh, uh, throughout the soil and then trying to come in and do a rescue um, uh, with the liquid micronutrient base which does work when you get, get to that point but here you're stopping the deficiency uh, from showing up. Um, and it's just like we don't want to see weeds. We don't want to see nutrient deficiencies to get maximum yield. So they work hand-in-hand, hand.
0: just a perfect combination. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing when I thought about, when I looked at, especially at ProCoat, we switched away from microessentials SC, which is the basically sulfur. It would be been phosphorus, excuse me, nitrogen, nitrogen, phosphorus, um, sulfur and zinc all in one homogenous pearl and we went to micro essentials s10 which was a little bit cheaper product um, but it was nit- it's nitrogen phosphorus and sulfur the whole point of going to Procote was to look to you know maintain the same ideals around I want to get a pound of zinc on every acre every year but also look at it from the standpoint of I want even better coverage right because the best part about Procote is if you have a blend going out and say it's even instead of running Micro Central's S10, you're running uh, Potash, MAP, and SO4, you'll coat everything in that blend. Every single particle that goes out on the field is going to have zinc on it. And again, kind of back to your point, adding the Titan just is going to enhance both those products together. So, you know, if you're looking at a pound of zinc and 300 pounds per acre of total um, spreadability, you know, you've got yourself about an $11 premium that you're going to pay on that fertilizer. But what you're really getting is you're investing into something you're going to have every year and better efficiencies. And, you know, Titan's not a new product and Procoats is not a new product. Um, Both these products have been around for 10 plus years. And I think that's, you know, when we're looking at products that were recommended to our growers, we're looking at stuff that is... They've got a well-known withstanding in the industry as well as data and, inform- and, and a lot of acres it's touched. Titan's been on tons of acres across the United States. They've got a ton of university data. They've got a lot of firepower in what they're building there. So we definitely feel strong about those. And, and you know, one thing I would say is if you got any questions for Dan and I or anybody on our agronomy team, just dial up 515-800-GROW. The team there can either help you with uh, exactly what those two products are going to do or, you know, they can get you in contact with myself or Dan. So Dan, as usual, appreciate you being on the podcast here today you. and, uh, everybody have a safe, uh, fall harvest here and, uh, feel free to give us a call anytime.